All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from Instagram. Lots of gems, lots of people asking me questions, lots of, I don't have Dre again. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. All right, well, thank you guys so much for joining me here for another lonely episode of the Kung Fu Genius Podcast. Uh, normally, as you guys know, I have Dre and Mikey here with me, but our schedules have been really quite difficult lately. I was also traveling uh, recently, which made it a little harder to get episodes uh, done in time. Uh, most recent episode was a little bit late, not because it wasn't recorded or my editor didn't get it done on time, but we were just having problems downloading it and then re-uploading it to YouTube. So sometimes we have technical issues. Um, as always, if you guys want to support the Kung Fu Genius podcast, the best way to do that is on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash The Kung Fu Genius. Link is in the description below. You can support us for as little as $5 a month. You get access to episodes early. Also, you get my Instagram subscriber reels and occasional little goodies here and there. Different higher levels of support. You can even get private uh, sessions with me online through Zoom where you can basically ask me anything and have your own private episode of the Kung Fu Genius podcast. So yeah, if you want to support us, best way to do that is on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Kung Fu Genius. Um, all right, so uh, let's get to it. I recently uh, posed the question for my Instagram followers. Um, yeah, questions for another episode. So I got some really good ones here. Uh, I will try my best to read the Instagram handles to the best of my abilities. Uh, first one we got here from our boy AJ uh, at the Martial Arts Mania podcast. By the way, if you guys don't already follow the Martial Arts Mania podcast, I definitely uh, suggest you do it. It's uh, more about movies and stuff like that. It's my good friend AJ. I've been on it before. Really great, great podcast. Uh, great takes on uh, martial art films uh, from a great martial artist. So his question was obviously martial arts movie related who's on your bucket list of martial arts stars you still haven't met yet um i would have to say uh, having had the extreme fortune to meet sammo hung to meet uh have met jackie chan to have met law mong uh lu feng from five deadly venoms uh fame angela mao um and cynthia rothrock ton tons of other people as well um but yeah there's always the one you haven't had a chance to meet yet and for me, that would be Yunhua. Uh, Yunhua, uh, as most people who are fans of the genre know, is kind of more more famous for playing villains. Um, he's one of the original Tatsuya Fuk Seven Little Fortunes with Jackie Chan and Sammo and those guys. Um, in my opinion, I think he's the most skillful out of all of them. But because of his looks, um, he generally was casted as a villain and played a very great villain in many films. But uh, I also feel that... Um, had he had the chance to kind of shine a little bit as a uh, protagonist, you would also have had a chance to see really how great he is. We see glimpses of that in uh, Kung Fu Hustle, where although he plays a slightly sleazy guy, he does end up essentially being one of the uh, protagonists of the film. Um, so that you kind of see how awesome he is there. Obviously, he started, uh, among other things, uh, early on in his career as a stuntman uh, to Bruce Lee, which I find that he his ability to mimic Bruce Lee was really incredible. Um, as I've talked about a few times, um, you know, he did... Uh, he did three stunts uh, that I know of, or at least I can say off the top of my head, uh, for uh, Bruce in Enter the Dragon. Uh, the first one was a simple one. It was the kip-up uh, when he's fighting Sammo Hung in the opening scene. 
the second one is when the monks all hold up their hands and he does like the a uh, bunch of handsprings into a flip. That's also Yunwa. Bruce Lee was not an acrobat, couldn't do those things. And then the uh, third and final, to my recollection, um, stunt that Yunwa did for Bruce in Enter the Dragon was when Bob Wall uh, grabbed Bruce's leg and then Bruce, but it's actually Yunwa, does the backflip and kicks uh, Bob Wall. When I mention these, it's, a, it's like a lot of Bruce Lee fans know that. They're like, oh yeah, Yunwa did the, those stunts for Bruce. But there's a whole contingency of like Bruce Lee fans who are like, they're kind of fans of the movies, but they're not like the real in deep geeks about this stuff. And when I tell them that's, uh, you know, Bruce was uh, doubled by Yunwa in those few scenes, uh, they almost feel like I'm saying something sacrilegious about Bruce Lee. It's like, no, Bruce Lee was a great martial artist, a great actor, but he was not an acrobat. So, uh, you know, there there was no point in his uh, Wing Chun training with Yip Man or Wong Sun Leung where uh, either one of those two gentlemen said, okay, Bruce, here's the backflip in Wing Chun and here are the double front handsprings into a flip. Um, you know, these are just not skills that he had. These are skills that you had to learn. Uh either through gymnastics or acrobats or, in, in this case, through the uh, Peking opera training. So, uh, but what, um, as I mentioned before, what's really remarkable about Yun Hua, um, not just his ability as a martial artist, but in particular his ability as a Bruce Lee uh, uh, stand-in, I suppose, or stuntman, I think. And also one of the reasons why a lot of people didn't realize that Bruce was doubled in those scenes is because, well, one, at that time, uh, Yun Hua and Bruce Lee's body types are almost identical in terms of the level of body fat or lack thereof. And uh, so from the side or from the back, they look very similar. So physically, they, 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 they look quite the same. But Yun Hua is such a great actor, such a great mimic. He's able to even imitate like Bruce's walk and Bruce's gait and like his swagger. Uh, in a way where a lot of people who try to imitate that stuff, you can tell they're imitating it. It looks like uh, it looks like a caricature. It doesn't look real. But Yun Hua would do it in a way where it's like very believable as Bruce. And when you see the um, <clears throat> the kip up, I think he does a kip up and then he fires a punch very convincingly as Bruce Lee. And then when he does the flips over the monks, when he lands, if you watch that clip after he lands, he continues to walk off. And when you see Yunwa walking off, he walks with that little kind of that swagger that Bruce Lee has, uh, partially because Bruce had one leg that was shorter than the other. So Bruce had a little bit of this kind of uh, kind of bob when he walked a little bit. And Yunwa does that perfectly. So when you see him flip and then walk off from behind, he, it's very convincing that that's Bruce Lee because Yunwa did such a pitch perfect uh, way of w walking like Bruce after uh, after he landed the flip that I think that's why people didn't notice. And then you can see the same level of acting, I suppose, after the Bob Wall backflip kick, right? So, he, you know, Bob Wall grabs Bruce's leg and then, you know, there's the, the stunt where Yunwa basically does a backflip and kicks Bob Wall on the way up. And then when you see that stunt in its entirety, you will see Yunwa land after doing the flip. And then he does like a couple bobs back and forth where he's like this moving as Bruce. And he does it very convincingly. And I think that's the reason why when you look at that, um, even as a child uh, and even into early adulthood before I knew that Yunwa did those stunts. I was like, no, it's got to be Bruce because look at how he moves afterwards. Like no one moves that way. Well, Yunwa moves that way. And that's why he's on my bucket list of martial arts stars I have not yet met. So um, great, uh, great question, AJ. 
Uh, always appreciate those questions I get from you. All right, uh, cool. So next one I got uh, is proteo.matia. Uh, so these are all uh, Instagram handles. Uh, hello, KFG. I wanted to ask you, what is the influence of Taoism in Wing Chun? Well, uh, that's a great question. It's a question that probably if you asked 10 different Wing Chun Sivus, uh, you'd get 10 different answers, all right? Because uh, this is um, not a question that has a very clear answer. Of course, that doesn't mean people won't tell you, oh, no, no, Wing Chun is definitely a Taoist art and this is how we know, all right? Um, one thing you have to inoculate yourself against when it comes to experts uh, in, we'll just leave it in my field of Wing Chun, is that um, there are many things that are unknown and unknowable, all right? And to say that you don't know something, uh, to say that you're not sure of something, or that you don't know to a high level of probability if something is true or not, is actually an honest answer. And what a lot of people don't really like are honest answers where you admit you don't know something. Uh, people would rather believe a conspiracy theory than no theory at all. And there are many things in life that you can just say, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And you probably don't either. And neither does the other guy, right? Um, but there's always a guy, let's just leave it in our wheelhouse of Wing Chun, who will say, no, no, no. It's 100% Taoist in this case here of this question because da, 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 and you can see the DNA in here and this comes from here, whatever. The fact that people say things with certainty the fact that people can whip out a bunch of facts that seemingly support their case uh, doesn't mean that it's true. Uh, and so I, I just want, I, I always have to say something like that uh, before I answer a question like this, because what I'm about to give you is my own take, and my own take could very well be an error. It could be wrong. Um, but I. Uh, would hope that the, the, the way I formulate it is in at least a neutral enough way where I'm not trying to call anyone out on this stuff. Um, there, in general, there's this um, demand in the Western world to uh, Asianify everything related to martial arts. And uh, while that might seem kind of silly, well, obviously these, these martial arts in particular come from Asia. Uh, what, do, what do I mean by Asianify this? Uh, I mean, is like uh, Westerners often look towards Eastern culture to solve problems and issues that we feel don't get solved in Western culture or Western philosophy. Um, and one of these ideas um, in the wheelhouse of Chinese martial arts is the philosophy of Taoism, uh, because the Taoist philosophy is uh, on, on the surface something very relatable and it's also something that doesn't require any belief in superstition or gods or anything like that. Now, of course, there is an entire branch of Taoism uh, that is um, very unsecular, I suppose, where they do believe in Taoist gods and rituals and Taoist alchemy and sorcery and all this kind of stuff. You have to imagine that if you look at this on a, a spectrum or on a sliding scale, like the guys who just want to be one with nature and find the harmony in things, they're kind of on one end of the spectrum. And then the guys who think that they can, you know, by creating mudras with their fingers and, and, you know, doing certain ceremonies that they can, you know, expel demons using Taoist sorcery. They're on the other end of the spectrum. So it's very difficult when you say Taoism. So what Taoism are we talking about? Are we talking about a simple philosophy about the interplay between, 
the dual characteristics of many things? Um, are we talking about how, um, you know, we can use this philosophy to interact better with other people or to interact better with the environment? Or are we using Taoist philosophy to be cunning? All right. If you look at uh, things like uh, uh, Art of War, which is not uh, considered a Taoist text by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, there are Taoist elements in there because on Taoism on one hand can be used to harmonize yourself with nature and your ideas or thoughts or with other people. And on the other side, you can also use this kind of yin-yang interplay to dupe other people and to, uh, you know, use it in a way that is more on the cunning side of Taoism. So like uh, art of war strategies, right, is like on the using Taoism, the dark side of it, right, to to kind of con people or to trick people or to get your own way, right? So uh, it's very difficult if we're talking about Taoism. So are we talking about m more kind of naturalistic view of it or are we talking about on the more manipulative end of using little tricks and baits to get people to kind of do what you want so what Taoism are we talking about here right so uh for many westerners we look towards eastern philosophy because it's like mystical and we tend to overly mystify these things and we tend to then ascribe way more to these things to things like martial arts than actually exist it's like if you go to our average Wing Chun person in Hong Kong who practices Wing Chun and be like, can you tell me about the Taoist influence of Wing Chun in Wing Chun? They probably look at you a little weird, like mm, Taoism, like you mean like the religion or the philosophy? And you'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, uh, what, what do you mean? What, is, what does that have to do with fighting? Right? Like, like it, it, but, but for Westerners, we're like, no, it's like, you know, giving way with Bong Sao is all about yin-yang ideas, right? And borrowing your opponent's force and giving it back to them and, you know, creating little gaps for them to fall into while we hit them at an angle. It's like all of this stuff sounds really mystical and mystifying. And, and it's like, oh, and this is the Taoist influence. You have to understand Taoism and all this stuff. And I have to admit that these aspects are way overplayed uh, in the Western world. Uh, it's very easy if you are told by some Western Wing Chun Sifu that uh, Wing Chun is a total Taoist martial art. And then you go, oh, okay, yeah. And you have to understand Taoism and yin-yang and all this stuff. And then when you start to see Wing Chun explained by other people, because you've already been told Wing Chun is Taoist or Wing Chun is a Taoist influence, you will naturally pick those things out when you see other Wing Chun Sifus explain Wing Chun. You will watch it and you will watch it with Taoist uh, 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 eyeglasses on. And so you will pick out those. Oh, see, it's obviously very Taoist. Look at the turning ideas, very Taoist. Uh, oh, look at this idea of, of, of borrowing the power this way and hitting on this. It's very Taoist, right? But you then have to ask yourself, are you seeing that? Because someone told you Wing Chun has a Taoist influence and now you have a hardcore confirmation bias to see that every time you see Wing Chun. I've mentioned it before. Uh, there's a really great book called Chinese Martial Arts Manuals. And it talks a little bit about this, um, that if you could go back in time and uh, talk to a martial artist, let's say even just from the Qing Dynasty, not even that far back. Let's go back to the 1850s or early 1800s. And you were to ask them, is your martial art Buddhist or Taoist? Uh, which one is it? Uh, that they would, very similar to my example of the uh, modern Hong Kong Wing Chun practitioner probably look at you funny like uh, those are religions. Why Why are you asking if that is, uh, 
martial arts is fist fighting. You're asking me about religion. I don't understand the connection, um, which for us as uh, Westerners seems almost like what? But like, you know, isn't isn't Kung Fu from like, you know, Buddhism in the Shaolin Temple and you have to have Buddha in your heart to be able to smash someone's face uh, or you have to have the idea of yin yang in your head in order to crush someone with an elbow, right? Um, there's a lot of confirmation bias when it comes to this link between specific philosophies or religions and martial arts. Having said that, Chinese culture is <clears throat> inextricably linked to three main philosophies, Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism. And many Chinese who grow up in Asia are influenced to a certain degree by these three or all three of these, all right? You can almost imagine like a volume dial on these three here. Um, and this that could even include being uh, influenced by Buddhism, even if they're not Buddhists, or being influenced by Taoism, even if they're not Taoists, or Confucianism, even if they're not Confucianists. Uh, it's just that these three philosophies are so hardwired into the, uh, the, the hardware of many Chinese who grew up in Asia that um, they may not be aware of the fact that certain ideas they have might be, have a Taoist influence or the extreme patriarchal uh, way that the martial arts school is set up is Confucianist, right? Or uh, certain ideas about the center way or mindfulness or emptying your mind might come from Zen Buddhism, right? Uh, that just might be there, all right? Uh, and even though... Uh, that martial art may not be making any special claim to being Buddhist or Taoism. This, the Taoist, there's just certain ideas that are there. And what's important is that these things need to work and they need to make sense. And I don't think that um, looking to make Wing Chun Taoist um, is, is really looking at it in an unbiased way. Uh, you could say, oh, this is a Taoist idea in here, but this idea seems a little bit different. And, and this doesn't really conform to that because for everything in Taoism that you could find a link to in Wing Chun, I could find things that would, um, tell you the exact opposite. So, um, that, uh, is kind of up to the answer to this question. Depends on the person telling you. For me, I think these links are a little overstated. I think they're just there because they're part of Chinese culture. I don't think they're there because uh, someone was thinking about creating a martial art and decided, let me use Taoism as the idea. When you're creating a martial art, you you want to create something that's effective, that works. You're not thinking about, how do I make this work with a, within the framework of a religious philosophy? Uh, you just think, how do I keep this guy from murdering my face with their fists? And the philosophical underpinnings can come or be justified later. So that's what I got to say about that. All right. Uh, what do we have next? All right. Arachne official. Uh, what do I think about Hungarian and Polish Wing Chun? Would you say it's on a good level? Uh, that's a great question. Um, in general, I don't uh, try not to talk too much about specific teachers or sifus or whatever. I don't really want to use the, my platform with my podcast. It just talk shit about uh, anyone or, or, or overly praise anyone. I just would rather it be more neutral. That's why I generally t talk more about ideas uh, and, um, you know, talk about training and talk about uh, issues with kind of how modern Kung Fu people think rather than going like, yeah, I think this guy's good. I think this guy sucks um, because uh, 
I know the, the internet, it, it's like, it it's, would be real easy for me to make this channel really big if I just had a big dumb uh, thumbnail where it goes like, the Kung Fu genius, you know, tells you what he thinks about so-and-so, right? And it's like me uh, with the other guy there and like a fist. Or like, I get it. I get that's like what people want. But the thing is that um, uh, my opinion doesn't matter on any of those things. If you are uh, presumably training in Hungary or in Poland, and you go to a local Wing Chun school and you like the teacher and you like what you're being taught, then trust that. If you don't like it or you think that there are issues or there's politics or whatever, find another school. But um, my opinion on those things doesn't matter because it's not going to help you uh, in your Wing Chun training. If I tell you, yeah, I think all those guys are great or I think those guys are not great, um, what does that change for you? You're the one that ultimately is responsible for your own training. Um, Although, having said that, uh, I just got back from teaching a seminar in Hungary uh, to uh, at the school of uh, Sifu Esther and Sifu Milan. Uh, they uh, run the Wude school. Wude means martial virtue in Mandarin. And they have a great facility out there in Zeged and really great students who train really hard. This is my third trip to Hungary. I really like teaching the Hungarians. I find that they uh, work really hard. They train really hard. And uh, it wasn't just Hungarians. We had some visitors from Romania in the past. We have also had visitors from Poland. And so, um, yeah, I would say uh, in general, the, the level is high. People are serious about Wing Chun over there. Um, and I'm very happy to be able to teach and uh, help um, instructors over there maybe um, see something that's a little bit different from what they saw before. So, yeah, I would say it's great. And I would say you should find the school that suits all your needs. All right. Awesome question. All right. So what do we have next? Uh, there's a question here. Um, oh, about the from the same person, Arachne officials response, uh, which is about the uh, Phoenix Eye Fist. Uh, the Phoenix Eye Fist, which is actually a very rare punch in Wing Chun. We have it in, uh, in the Leng Ting system. We have it in the Buji form. I think in the um, Augustine Fong system, they have the Phoenix Eye, uh, maybe in the Sunum Tao. I know they have a double punch in the Sunum Tao. I, actually, I could be missed. They have a double punch in the Sunum Tao, not necessarily a Phoenix Eye. But uh, some, some styles use the Phoenix Eye. Um, my late uh, friend, uh, Sifu Chanchi Man, told me that uh, Grandmaster Yip Man used to kind of hit the wall bag with Phoenix Eyes. Sometime, not exclusively. Of course, when I say that, people go like, oh, the Kung Fu genius said that Yip Man just used the Phoenix Eye on the wall. Did not say that. Um, he would do the normal Wing Chun punches on the wall bag, but occasionally, uh, Tan Sifu said he would see Yip Man hitting the, the wall bag with the Phoenix Eye and then would kind of ask them about that. And Yip Man was a little bit re reluctant at first and then eventually explained to him how this thing works. Uh, the Phoenix Eye Fist is... Um, you have to understand that with Wing Chun techniques, whether we're talking about Buji, Wooden Dummy, or whatever, uh, there, there's a, a fallacy in Wing Chun, and it's an equal dispersion fallacy. I'm coining that term here. And the fallacy is that every movement in the form or in the forms or every movement in Qi or every application is uh, equally uh, as common or practical as every other movement. And I would really sternly warn Wing Chun people against this way of thinking. Uh, you have to look at Wing Chun in terms of high percentage techniques 
and low percentage techniques, okay? So in Wing Chun, there are certain techniques which you will just use way more often than others, all right? Uh, certain steps, you know, your arrow step, your advancing step. Certain hand techniques, Pak Sao, Lap Sao, very, very high percentage. Straight punch, chain punching, high percentage. In the Learning system, hacking elbow, neck pull, lifting punch. Uh, these are all very high percentage techniques, straight kick. Um, those kind of things, right? Certain cheese out tactics, first attack, pakta, lapso, all those kind of things, right? Those are your high percentage techniques that you would use most often in self-defense, fighting, or in cheese out, right? Then there are other techniques which are lower percentage, and they're lower percentage for, uh, and even there, not all things are low percentage for the same reason. Uh, certain Wing Chun techniques are low percentage because perhaps the movements they were designed to fight against are a little bit less rare. So there's certain movements in Wing Chun that are maybe originally designed to fight someone who has a, a kind of very typical Hakka uh, uh, Southern style stance. Or there's certain techniques that are designed to fight against Choi Lei Fat, for example. Or certain techniques that are designed to fight against other Wing Chun people who are at a very high level. Well, I mean, the likelihood you're going to face someone from a Hakka martial arts system or a high-level Choi Lei Fat guy or a high-level Wing Chun person that can put you in these weird positions is uh, a lot less likely than someone who's just going to push you on the street and take a swing at you, right? So certain movements are high percentage or low percentage because uh, we simply don't fight those styles anymore. So certain techniques are very low percentage. Um, some techniques are also low percentage because... In all the years of improving and studying Wing Chun, we've actually found that there may be better ways to defend certain types of movements. For example, in the old days, um, there used to be uh, uh, the use of the low bong cell to defend a kick. All right. Uh, we even see photos of Grandmaster Yip Man performing this against a uh, like a straight kick or something like that. Well, uh, it certainly can be done, and there are certainly contexts where using a low bong cell against a kick coming at you might make sense. Um, but in general, in, a mo in modern kind of martial arts, if you're fighting someone who's a really good kicker and you need to follow a cohesive way of applying your Wing Chun, then uh, stopping, lowering your hand, and blocking a kick with this low wing arm it's probably not the most effective one. It can leave you open to counters up top. You also have to pull your arm down to move it to go over here, which takes time. So there are certain movements in Wing Chun which are now low percentage because we found better ways to defend it still using Wing Chun, but we found other moves in Wing Chun that when we combine them with footwork are maybe more effective than some of the older ways of doing it, right? So that's like my huge throat clearing about high percentage and low percentage techniques. The Phoenix Eye Fist is a low percentage technique in Wing Chun. So exactly how you do your Phoenix Eye or the exact style of it or whatever, it doesn't really matter that much because we're talking about a style of punch that's extremely rare to use. Uh, you would only use it in certain circumstances against certain targets and usually then only when you're just kind of showing off and playing around with someone. Uh, in general, if someone attacks you on the street, you're going to use a normal penguin, the normal flat fist. The Phoenix Eye Fist is done in a special situation, and it's very, very low percentage. So the question was, some people do the Phoenix Eye Fist, uh, and I apologize for those of you who are listening to me on audio. Uh, those of you who are watching, you can see some people do the Phoenix Eye Fist with the thumb in the normal position of the Wing Chun Fist. 
Uh, this is how many WT people do it. I do it with my uh, thumb supporting this one here so that this one becomes stable. Because if you go this way and you, you hit a target with the Phoenix Eye, it's very easy for this to push in and thus become a no Phoenix Eye fist very quickly. When you hold it here, this is stabilized, okay? And this actually allows you to properly use it like that. Now, um, I'm gonna give you guys a quick quiz here, right? Why is this punch called Phoenix Eye, all right? Most people will say, well, they would assume that because this part here is sticking out, uh, this must be the eye of the fist, of the eye of the peacock or the eye of the phoenix, right? And this is actually wrong. The uh, fist in Chinese martial arts has uh, an anatomy on its own, okay? The flat part of the fist here, the part that we generally hit with, is called kun min, which means the face of the fist. This part here is kun boi, which is the back of the fist, like head's back fist, right? The, um, the bottom part here is called kun lun, which is the wheel of the fist. And when you look at it from this side here, between my index finger and my thumb, it wraps and it creates like a, a little hole right there, okay? This is called kun ngan, the eye of the fist. And when I hold it like this, the fist eye is round, all right? And when I make a phoenix eye fist in this angle here, you will actually see now the eye is flat and straight. And the Chinese say this is what looks like the eye of the peacock or the eye of the phoenix. So it has nothing to do with this thing here. It has to do with the the eye of the fist being flattened out very much like the eyes of a phoenix or a peacock, right? So I hold it like this. Uh, this information I got was from Siva Loy from Southern Mantis. Uh, the reason why I use his method of holding the phoenix eye rather than the standard Wing Chun way of doing it like this is because Siva Loy's entire style of Zhao Ga Tong Long pretty much exclusively uses this fist, meaning that if there's an expert in using this fist in combat, it's the Zhao Ga Mantis guys. And when they tell you, you should hold it this way, all right? Uh, because now you can use this as a solid battering ram. Uh, then I tend to go, okay, well, they're the experts on that fist. This is a thing we have in Wing Chun for fun, but we're not experts in it. Those guys literally only punch this way and they say you should do it like that because that'll support it this way. And I go, I defer to the expert on that. <clears throat> Just because it's done this way in Wing Chun doesn't mean it's correct. Uh, great question. All right, so what else do we got here? Ah, our good friend, at Sifu Brian Cuddle. Try having chat GPT ask questions about martial arts. Kung Fu, Wing Chun, Bruce Lee. Um, I did a Chat GPT episode a couple episodes ago asking Chat GPT these questions. Um, now, whether GPT can ask those questions back, I have to go and double check. I have the free version. I heard the paid version is much more robust. Um, it is really fun uh, to see um, the kind of answers that it, it spits out. And for any of you guys who want to know, um, uh, those, uh, answers that I got, uh, it's like a couple episodes back. It's like, a, is a chat GPT does chat GPT know more about Wing Chun than the Kung Fu genius. So that was a really fun one. Uh, all right. Next one I have at Soxbox 97, uh, on Instagram and his question, if I can call it, that was just, uh, four words centerline in Wing Chun. Uh, is that a Question is what would what, what, what is there a center line in Wing Chun? Yes. Uh, what is it? Well, he didn't ask me what it is. Why is it important? Also didn't ask. Just says center line in Wing Chun. Uh yeah. Uh-huh. Definitely. Center line in Wing Chun. All right. 
KF conversation, Kung Fu conversations in the house. Is there something in Wing Chun you think should be tossed to the wayside? A hand, drill, weapon, etc. Hmm. Uh, not really. I mean, uh, everything we do in Wing Chun, at least in the Wing Chun that I teach, we, we test it, we try it out. There are certain things in Wing Chun that um, I don't do that often myself. Uh, for example, in Wing Chun, we have some some basic locking techniques, right? Not the same like in Jiu Jitsu. Just uh, out of some transitions of our hand techniques, we can we can put our partner in like kind of a standing type arm lock. But it's not something we go for. We're not trying to like chase someone's hands and put them in an arm lock. It's just that in certain transitions, you happen to be in a situation where you can kind of turn someone using their arm in kind of a simple lock or crank their shoulder up in a certain way if you can catch their elbow. And um, they're very, very effective. But I personally don't really use them that much. Um, but that is precisely why I have to make sure that the program is codified so that all of the students learn all of these things because I have students that do use those locks all the time. They use them as positional controls when they're pressed. They can grab their partner's arm and use it to turn them and set up a better strike. So it's a very powerful tool for some of my students who really like it. So if I were to say, well, I don't really use the locks in Wing Chun, so I'm going to just toss them out, then I would be depriving some of my students of a potentially very powerful and effective tool for their own body type and temperament, right? So I think that um, when it comes to the curriculum, there should be a standardized curriculum, which the Sifus have to teach their students, which include all the drills and exercises and applications you would have in your style, including the ones the Sifu themselves don't use that much um, because your own students may end up using certain things more than you and what's a low percentage for you might be high percentage for someone else. So I don't really toss anything out. Um, even if it's something that I don't use that often, I still practice it because I may need to teach it to someone. Um, but yeah, so for the most part, there's nothing like off the top of my head that kind of screams. Uh, but, um, I, I get the sentiment of your question, but, uh, I, um, tend to be a bit of a completionist in the way I teach and do things. Um, all right, <clears throat> next one. Uh, at Stacy underscore Weigert. If all of the Bruce Lee movie villains fought each other for the final boss role in Game of Death, who wins? Wow, this is a great question, all right? This is gonna require me to uh, to write something down here. I just need to do a quick, uh, quick little tally here. So the big boss villain uh is uh the big boss all right and that was played by uh hon ying Geet. all right so i'm just gonna write that down here okay and then uh fist of fury the uh big boss well he fights a couple big bosses at the end there but he has he fights a main japanese antagonist at the end he also fights uh his uh, drug dealer bob baker uh the russian all right petrov right Okay, so I'll, I'll consider those two guys like the villains of Fist of Fury. So we got the big boss. We got the Japanese baddie from Fist of Fury. We got Bob Baker as Petrov. Then uh, Way of the Dragon. We got, obviously, we got Colt. We got Chuck. Um, are we going to put Bob Wall in there? I mean, he's not really the final villain, but let's just put Bob Wall in there. We can also put uh, Wang in Sick, the Korean fighter. All right, and then uh, then we have um, Han from Enter the Dragon. Okay, so basically we're looking 
at a fight between uh, the big boss, Han, Chuck Norris, Bob Wall, Bob Baker, and the Japanese dude. So let's see. In terms of damage, who gave Bruce Lee the biggest run for his money? Well, we'd probably say Han, because Han had the claw, so he was able to slash Bruce. Uh, but we know that he needed that because if he didn't have it, that fight would have lasted 10 seconds. All right. So Han is dangerous mainly because he has that claw. All right. So that gives him like a huge upgrade on all the other guys, even if the other guys are maybe younger and fitter. Right. Um, Bob Wall, I think Bob Wall and Wan in Sick, if we are using their characters from Way of the Dragon, they were not particularly powerful. So like, you know, Bob Wall's character in Way the Dragon is not quite at the level of his character in Enter the Dragon, O'Hara, right? O'Hara is like a much more upgraded villain than Bob Wall was in, uh, say, Way the Dragon. So I think both him and Wong Insik would they would get blown out pretty easily. It kind of comes down to Chuck. Chuck's pretty awesome. Um, now, Bob Baker. All right. Bob Baker was pretty formidable. Bob Baker versus Chuck. Uh, well, I should say really that Petrov versus Chuck. I don't know. That would be a really good fight because uh, we're not talking about them in real life. We're talking about like the villain version of them, right? So imagine you have Petrov from Fist of Fury versus Colt from Way of the Dragon. I think that that would be a really good fight. Um, maybe not in real life so much. It'd be Chuck Norris would probably have an edge over, uh, uh, um, Bob Baker, maybe in, in kind of a more sparring match, although maybe in a real fight, Bob Baker would still win. I don't know. Uh, but I think in the movie, that would be a very, very close fight. Petrol versus Colt. Uh, the Japanese fighter is also kind of an X factor. He has the sword. Um, yeah, I'm thinking he could do pretty good. But if we're taking weapons out of this, um, then I think... He might have a slight edge over Bob Baker. Maybe that guy could beat uh, Chuck, the Japanese fighter. I think the big boss is uh, without a knife. I don't think he's really that good. Okay, so I'm thinking now it's like we're looking at, okay, the Japanese end fighter of Fist of Fury versus Chuck. It's Colt. I'll give a slight edge to Chuck, I think, on that one just because of how good that fight was. So um, I guess it would be Chuck Norris in Game of Death uh, as the final villain. I don't know, uh, which is kind of weird because I don't think he's really an upgrade to uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, he would have to be the guy right before Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think, because I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the style of the unknown, I think he uh, I think he still makes the best final boss in Game of Death. Um yeah, so I would say Chuck Norris would be the penultimate boss right before uh, Kareem. I think Kareem still with his height and everything, he still has to be the final boss. Can't take that away from him. Uh, Blue uh, at Blue Sky Buddha. Uh, what has uh, TBG, that British guy, got against uh, Shing Yi? It's a very good Kung Fu style, mind hard boxing, fist from the heart. Uh, so uh, he occasionally... Uh, Mikey Dean talks a little bit of ish about Shingy. Now, uh, what I just want to say uh, uh, in general, it's like we do occasionally make some jokes about Tai Chi or Bagua or Shingy. All right. 
And uh, so I just want to be like quite open and honest here, right? Um, I also make jokes about Wing Chun, all right? I also kind of in general make jokes about Kung Fu and Kung Fu people. And I make jokes about Bruce Lee fanboys. Uh, the problem is that no one ever seems to bat an eye when you're making jokes about anything until it's their thing. All right. And so if, if you were to watch the last three seasons of the Kung Fu Genies podcast, I poke fun at a lot of people in traditional martial arts because traditional martial arts is kind of a funny thing to do in the modern martial arts world. Um, and if you take yourself too seriously as someone that does traditional Chinese martial arts in the 21st century, I think you need to chill out a little bit. I think you need to take yourself a little less seriously. And uh, I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan, but I make fun of Bruce Lee fanboys. I make fun of misguided, um, you know, um, takes on Bruce Lee like he was some indestructible guy. I, I go against that. And I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. I also go against the uh, Bruce Lee haters. Um, but uh, as I sometimes find their takes misinformed, sometimes their takes are not. And the things that they say against Bruce Lee or traditional martial arts or whatever, like... I find a lot of their uh, uh, criticisms are founded. It might not be accurate in every sense because sometimes like Joe, even Joe Rogan will just say ignorant shit about Bruce Lee. Um, like, oh, he just thought he could just kick everyone in the head. And Bruce Lee never thought that and never wrote that and never said that. But Joe Rogan says it. And it's once bro Jogan says something about Bruce Lee, then all the fanboys are like, yeah, bro, I know about Bruce Lee. I uh, listen to the uh, Joe Blogan podcast and uh, got all my hot takes from him. So, I mean, like, I'll go against that stuff a little bit, but I don't get upset when people talk shit about Bruce Lee because uh, you always have to consider the source, all right? Someone, someone that you really care about saying something that you don't like or is it someone you don't care about, right? Uh, so I make fun of fanboys and I make fun of the anti-Bruce Lee fanboys. I make fun of Wing Chun people. I make fun of rotten attitudes in Chinese martial arts. I make fun of like weirdness and cultiness in Chinese Kung Fu. Uh, I make fun of people who are really into ninjas or Ashita Kim. And it seems like no one really takes any issue until the one thing I make fun of is their thing. All right. So if we uh, have a little jab about uh, Xing Yi uh, and someone practices Xing Yi who listens to the podcast, like, hey, wait a minute. Never mind all the crap I talk about Wing Chun people, because if someone's not a Wing Chun person, they just that stuff is just going to skate over their heads. Um, but the moment I say something about that thing, hey, all right, look, if you are able to dish it out, you also need to be able to take it. All right. And um, I'm a huge fan of martial arts, obviously, Chinese martial arts in particular. Uh, love even the internal martial arts. My only issue is this in New York in particular. And I know this because um, I have a school centrally located in Midtown Manhattan. And occasionally um, people who teach Tai Chi or Bakwa or Xing Yi have uh, used my space to teach workshops or seminars. And um, I let them do that, and that's their thing. And on a number of those occasions, um, while I just happen to be at the school, uh, I get to hear some of the locker room talk from Tai Chi and Xing Yi and Bagua people. And uh, for the most part, people who practice those martial arts are super chill. Most people do Tai Chi. They're like kind of the hippies of the Chinese Kung Fu world, right? How can you have any issue with those guys? Well, uh, for the most part, they're really cool. And for the most part, they are just into their practice and they're into what they do. But there's a percentage of them, sizable enough where it's a regular thing, that make very large claims for what they think they can do with, for example, push, in the case of Tai Chi, push hands. 
like I literally heard guys in my locker room after a Tai Chi seminar go like, yeah, well, like when you really understand the root of like Tai Chi and push hands, like, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like what's a boxer going to do to you? And um, you occasionally get these really uh, very mm, overblown takes from people who practice those martial arts. And it's one thing if you are a Tai Chi guy who's really good at push hands and you occasionally go and spar with actual boxers and you have figured out a way to use that stuff against a boxer. And it's another thing if you've never done that and you think that just because you can push over your partner in class that that's going to immediately transfer to work against a boxer who's not even going to try to stick with your hands. It's just going to try to murder your face. And so I found that there is, at least in New York, I can't speak for other people, there's a pretty sizable contingency of internal martial arts practitioners, Bakwa, Ching Yi, um, that um, go beyond like just practicing their martial art and trying to get good at it. They then have some pretty bold claims about what they can do with these styles against other people. And um, those claims are mostly just their own claims. These are not claims from practice, like uh, that they destroyed some MMA fighter. And then they're like, yeah, well, I use my Xing Yi willow leaf palm and that MMA guy couldn't take me down or whatever. It's like, no, hypothetically, they think that this stuff is going to stop someone having never tested them. Right. So when I make fun at some of the of these some of these internal martial arts, it's because of having overheard many of those conversations at my own school from Tai Chi and Bagua and Xing Yi people talking about how trash other martial arts are. And I go, they're the internal guys, all right? You guys are the guys that are supposed to be peaceful and in harmony with the Tao and everything like that. And uh, some of the most kind of vitriolic shit I hear about how good they can fight come from those styles. Like in a way where even a lot of arrogant Wing Chun people might not say anything about what they can do or can't do against another style because, uh, yeah, I mean, they know ultimately uh, you might be able to beat this guy up, might not be able to beat that guy up. On a good day, you can do this. On a bad day, you can't. Um, but in the relatively untested world of internal martial arts, there seems to be a disproportionately high um, opinion about what they can do, at least in martial arts, I practice sparring. You have a realistic interface with someone coming at you and punching and kicking you and grabbing you and not necessarily playing your game of cheese or your game of push hands. So you have to reconcile your skills against someone who's just coming at you and doing this stuff. And if your only interaction with someone is through a push hands or a push hands type exercise and the rest of what you do is literally a solo form by yourself, then, um, then yeah, then when those people have very high opinions about destroying boxers or MMA guys, that's why I tend to kind of, you know, raise an eyebrow on that a little bit. And so anytime it sounds like I'm coming off a little harsh on Tai Chi or Bagua or Xing Yi people, um, it's not the community as a whole. Uh, I have a lot of good friends who practice uh, Tai Chi and internal martial arts to a very, very high level that I respect a lot. Um, my sense of snark you might hear or that from Mikey Dean come from, unfortunately, uh, having to deal with people from those styles who have a very, very high opinion of themselves um, in, re in, in have been relatively untested as a result. Uh, okay, a couple quick questions before I'm done here. 
Uh, has Donnie Yen sent that mug yet? I'm going to John Wick 5 with a placard demanding he starts it out. Also from at Blue Sky Buddha. Uh, no, I mean, uh, Donnie Yen didn't give me that mu uh, mug box. Uh, that mug box was given to me by the person who asked me to do the favor for uh, uh, Donnie Yen. And so uh, it's not like Donnie signed the box just to give me that and not give me the mug. That was just the consolation prize I got from my friend knowing that Donnie did not fulfill his promise on, uh, um, you know, what I did for him getting that video from uh, Lang Lang or whatever all those years back. So I appreciate you trolling him in the comments. Uh, Blue Sky Buddha, every time Donnie Yen posts something, he goes, hey, Donnie, you owe the Kung Fu Genius a, a mug or a video or something like that. Um, I appreciate it. I wouldn't hold my breath on any of that stuff. Uh, we have here... Um, uh, what uh, Run Scoop? Uh, run uh, here at Instagram. Uh, Steph, who's coming on our Hong Kong tour in August. What films does a person who doesn't watch Kung Fu films need to watch before Hong Kong? Perfect question, as she is coming on the Hong Kong trip. I had a chance to meet her in Hungary with our husband, Mike. Uh, yeah, so I would definitely watch Blood Sports because uh, we're going to some Blood Sport locations in Hong Kong. I would watch Enter the Dragon because we're definitely going to some Enter the Dragon locations in Hong Kong. And then uh, beyond that, uh, probably uh, should watch uh, Five Deadly Venoms and uh, Magnificent Butcher. And those would be my recommendations. I think you'd be good to go on that Hong Kong trip. Everything else uh, I would um, tell you about while we're there. Uh, and then at Anne Fernie Suell uh, at Instagram. Because Sifu exists, do you think there'll be a Wing Chun game of the same better quality? Uh, this is the Sifu video game, which uses, I believe, White Eyebrow, which is an amazing game. I did a review on it. I have a video on that I did uh, uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, I don't know, because it's a lot of money to develop a video game. And I think that that developer uh, happened to either be the guy who was doing the White Eyebrow Kung Fu or happened to be very close to him. So it's like... I'm a video game developer who has a special interest in this one particular style, so then I'm going to do it. And I think that was the uh, amazing part of that game. Um, so you would have to find a Wing Chun person who has access to game development and can do it that way too. It would be really cool. I really like that uh, Sifu game. I think a lot of the stuff uh, in White Eyebrow actually does look a lot like Wing Chun. I think they did a really good job with that. It'd be really cool if they would do something. Um, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I'm not a gamer, by the way. Also, like, I'm the last person to ask anything about video games. I, I really don't do any of that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would be kind of cool. So, anyway, that's all I got to say about that. I hope you guys enjoyed this kind of somewhat short episode of The Kung Fu Genius, answering a few questions from Instagram. Uh, thank you guys so much for uh, being here with me and supporting us. And, uh, as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a kung fu genius Technique speaks for me, not lineage Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung And I produce masters, you surpassed us Your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets City Wing Chun is the house I built Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt Alex Richter, always the victor